This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. All right, we're back. And now for the super what am I bonus question worth $2,000. Here it is. I am colorless and initially odorless, but if I do not soon evaporate, bacteria makes me offend the olfactory senses. What am I? Jeffrey! I am pond scum. (laughs) Strangely appropriate, but not correct. (laughs) Catherine! I am lighter fluid. Sorry, Catherine, that's not correct. But you can still win if Bull fails to answer correctly before time runs out. Rest in peace to the legendary Richard Mull. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train! Episode 423, submission number 482, Grace Point. Grace Point aired on Fox from October 2nd to December 11th of 2014 for 10 episodes. That is, of course, six less than the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck, Uncle Croc's Block, the number of aired episodes of Salvage 1, Schooled, Misfits of Science, and uh, some other shows. Okay, this is the fourth subject in an episode that comes from 2014. The other three are Utopia back in episode 96, Too Many Cooks back in episode 206, Too Many Cooks, Too Many Cooks, and to tie it in with the theme from this week back in 260, Selfie. Would have covered Selfie in this special month, but we already covered it on Marvel Months. But you know what? That's okay. If you haven't guessed by now, all this month, Greg, Mike, and myself, but mostly Greg and myself, are paying tribute to the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. We're going to be covering shows that feature loved Doctor Who actors, loved Doctor Who premises, Doctor Who in general, and, hey, how about just strangers and time travel in general? Where some people decide we're going to make our own Doctor Who with blackjack and hookers. If it's remotely related to Doctor Who, aliens, and time travel, you're going to hear about it this month. And we start here with this story that comes from one of the uh, greater writers of Doctor Who, and also featuring a familiar face or two from the franchise. In March of 2013, fresh off work from 
Doctor Who, and successive spinoff Torchwood, Chris Chibnall wrote and produced an eight-episode series for ITV called Broadchurch. Tenth Doctor David Tennant and Olivia Coleman, a pre-The Crown Olivia Coleman, but post-number Wang Olivia Coleman. I was also going to say, Olivia Coleman was in a Doctor Who episode. She was in Matt Smith's first episode. The 11th Hour, yes. Anyway, David Tennant and Olivia Coleman headed a star-studded ensemble cast that included 13th Doctor Jodie Whittaker, Charlotte Beaumont, Jonathan Bailey, and Arthur Darville, Rory, as residents of a small town coming to grips with the gruesome murder of 11-year-old Danny Latimer. After the killer was brought to justice at the end of season one, Arthur, you've been a bad boy. Several plot lines arose around the Latimer family in the sleepy coastal town that would form the crux of two more eight-episode seasons. Chibnall, who always saw the series as a trilogy, chose to end it on his own terms in 2017, despite the show having critical acclaim and positive feedback. But also because he was going to be executive producer of Doctor Who, probably. Chibnall described the project as a labor of love. He conceived Broadchurch in about 2003 while working on his first series, Born and Bred. The concept was to explore how a child's murder affects a small, close-knit local community and how the characters react to the media attention and mutual suspicion that arise. Production was done with the utmost of secrecy and security in mind. Chibnall was determined to ensure that the identity of the killer did not leak until the final episode aired. One reason for the secrecy was commercial. It encouraged viewers to keep watching. However, Chibnall also believed that it would enhance the acting as actors could not in any way telegraph or signal their innocence or guilt. It's one of those cases where nobody knows who did it until they are handed a script two hours beforehand and like, if you remember the episode of How I Met Your Mother where Marshall's dad died? Oh, yeah. It was kind of like that. But back to Broadchurch. Aside from standard NDAs that everyone on the cast and crew signed, scripts were controlled and released only when Chibnall felt they were ready to preserve both the narrative and the mystery. He admitted to taking more than a few notes from shows like Murder One and Greg Prepare to Lose It. Twin Peaks. Well, as we all know, other than Wings, Twin Peaks is my favorite. I'm going to wait for you to finish because I know you got a lot to say about Twin Peaks here. Oh, Twin Peaks, just a magnificent show. It's like David Lynch at his most David Lynchian ever. And also, Kyle McLaughlin, come on. All three seasons were met with critical acclaim, with season three arguably the best of the bunch. We're not going to talk about the uh, plot line behind season three because gets very much triggering. But we're not here to talk about that season. We're here to talk about the first and how it arrived in the U.S. garnered similar acclaim at the start despite lagging ratings on BBC America and prompted Fox to order an American version of the show. But if you think you know everything about the mystery, think again.
The show was announced in August 2013 at the Television Critics Association Summer Press Tour that Fox would develop an American version retitled Grace Point. Chris Chibnall wrote the premiere episode and was the executive producer of the series with primary writing duties handed off to Anya Epstein and Dan Futterman, who wrote all but two episodes. Production began January 14th in Canada for a spot on the fall season that year. James Strong, director of the majority of the original series, directed several episodes of Fox's adaptation. And David Tennant would return to the show as Emmett Carver, the detective in charge of the case, in a similar role to his broad church equivalent, Alec Hardy. Sorry. I got a question. Uh-huh. Is he, like, the American cousin of his British counterpart, or no? You know, something that wasn't brought up. You didn't hear David Tennant in his fake American say, you know... I have a cousin working in the UK on a similar case about this. Maybe I should give him a call. Hey, Alec. Hey, Alec, it's Emmett. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? No. I got a case I'm working on. Let me guess. 11-year-old washed up on the shore dead. How'd you know? Are you sitting down, mate? I shouldn't even be talking about you know, David Tennant's American accent, because he is, first of all, a revered actor. A revered actor in the classical sense. He is our generation's Patrick Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, whether it's on Doctor Who, whether it's on Broadchurch, whether it's on DuckTales, whether it's on Jessica Jones, you know David Tennant is always going to give it his all. Asuka? Oh, that's right, because he reprised his role from the Clone Wars as the voice of that robot. Mm Mm-hmm. Anna Gunn from Breaking Bad would take the Olivia Coleman role as Ellie Miller, and together they would investigate the murder of 11-year-old Danny Solano, presumably renamed from Latimer, when Michael Pena joins the cast as his father, Mark. And of course, you know, Michael Pena from Ant-Man and the Wasp, Ant-Man. Remember that Chips movie he was in with Dax Shepard? That was I terrible. thought that was Wilmer Valderrama, actually. No, that was Michael Pena. Ah. Hold on. He was in that horrible Fantasy Island movie from Blumhouse that I talked about, like, maybe last year. I think I mentioned I saw that, like, on TNT for, like, five, ten minutes, and I'm like, this is awful. He was Mr. Rourke in that. He was. And, yes, it was absolutely terrible. Not even his first television role. You know what his first television role was? What was that? In an episode of Pacific Blue in 1996. Oh, that's terrific. So I guess he must have acted alongside Mario Lopez. He must that... have. Yeah. Or when did, did Mario Lopez start at Pacific Blue from the beginning, or was that after? I think he was added to the cast after. Okay, so the USA probably was like, we need to generate hype for this show. So let's get Mario Lopez on this show. I believe that's how he was cast on that show. He was also cast on a similar show on USA, USA High, which we may or may not cover in a future episode. But yeah, Michael Pena played Mark Solano, the father of Danny Solano. 
His wife, Beth, was played by Virginia Cull, who was in Big Little Lies, Nosfor A2. That's Nosferatu, isn't it? Nosferatu, yeah. You've never seen, like, the first... I've never seen that movie, no. And also a Broadway actress. Oh. Jack Reinhold, kayak bike rental shop owner and wildlife recorder, was played by legendary actor and not a very good photo taker, Nick Nolte. Oh, yeah. Remember that horrible mugshot a couple of years ago? But let's be honest. He did help Mando with rebuilding IG-11. And really, that's what we should remember him for. Oh, he gave his life to protect Grogu, and we should all honor that. And also, he was in Blue Chips. And let me just say, I think this is the first time ever I get an excuse on this podcast to talk about Blue Chips with Nick Nolte and Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. It's the role they were born to play. Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway as rival basketball players. This is before we learned that Shaquille O'Neal was a multifaceted individual, by the way. Oh, yeah. Just go back to the Shaq commercials episode. <laughs> and you did not see that, but Chico was doing the little Shaq shimmy. Doing the Shaq shimmy? <laughs> shimmy, shimmy, shimmy. Susan Wright was played by Jackie Weaver, who was a that Australian woman from that thing. But she was in the short-lived series Blunt Talk on Stars with Patrick Stewart. But also as a recurring role as Caroline Warner in Yellowstone. Oh, Yellowstone. My mom finally saw Yellowstone. She loves it. So I guess I got to give it a watch now. But also, Blunt Talk, wasn't Seth MacFarlane involved in that? Yes, he was. It was basically a live-action send-up of cable television talking heads. So it's got to be on cable. Not just any cable. Cable you pay for. And on stores, because as we all know, stores, that's quality. Oh, yeah. I mean, HBO, Showtime, that's Nothing compared to stars. Playing Ellie Miller's husband, Joe, Josh Hamilton. And we should mention, well, go ahead, Greg, mention it. Well, since the Rangers are in the World Series, we have to mention this. It's not the baseball player. Not the baseball player. We're talking about the guy who was in season one of 13 Reasons Why. The 2021 season of The Walking Dead as Lance Hornsby, and two episodes of At Home with Amy Sedaris. Oh, that's a great show, At Home with Amy Sedaris, if you've ever watched that. Playing Paul Coates, the priest of the local church, presumably the uh, Arthur Darvall role from the original Broadchurch, is Kevin Rankin who was on one of your shows, Greg, Friday Night Lights. Oh, that's right. He was on Friday Night Lights. I need to see who he played on Friday Night Lights. I can uh, have Herc. Can... Oh, yeah, he was the uh, wheelchair guy. 
from uh, Friday Night Lights. Yep, he was also in future entry Unforgettable, which was absolutely forgettable. And he was also Kenny in Breaking Bad and Derek Devil Lennox in Justified. Ooh, Justified. Well, talk about gritty drama. There you go. As Ellie's nephew, Owen Burke, a reporter for the Grace Point Journal. You know what that means. He was in Air Bud. That's right. He played Josh Bram, the owner of Buddy, in Air Bud. But also, let's not forget the one lesson we learned from that movie. There's no rule that says a dog can't play basketball. Or any other sport, for that matter. That's right, because they made, like, a gazillion Air Bud sequels where he played all different sports. My favorite direct-to-video Air Bud sequel title is Air Bud, Seventh Inning Fetch. I was thinking you would say that. Unfortunately, they did not have Buddy playing hockey, so I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. I guarantee you that Don Cherry called him a jerk. Yeah, Don Cherry's a jerk. There, I said it. Well, he is unemployed now, so we can all feel better for that. When he's got his point to flog, Don turns blue just like his dog. We miss you, Alex Trebek. As Renee Clemens, a reporter working for the San Francisco Globe, Jessica Lucas, who is known for roles in Edgemont, Melrose Place, and Gotham? Is she playing Gotham? Oh, let me look. She played Tabitha Gallivan. I have no idea who that is. Probably somebody that Bruce Wayne slash Batman does not talk about. But yeah, because this is coming out the day before Halloween. We also have to mention she was in Halloween 2, Calabar's Revenge as, and this is her role, Vampire Girl. But yeah, she was also in the reboot of 90210 and the reboot of Melrose Place as, interestingly enough, two different people. Now, when you say the reboot of 90210, do you mean the CW reboot or the Fox reboot? I mean the CW reboot from 2008. Good. Let me just say, the best CW reboot is the Dynasty reboot. And you know why? Why? Liz Gillies. Oh yeah, Liz Gillies crushes everything she's in. She's actually releasing a Christmas LP with Seth MacFarlane. She is an incredible singer. Oh yes, if you've ever listened to her on Victorious. Yeah. In the role of Vince Novick, Mark Solano's plumbing apprentice and best friend is Stephen Lewis Grush. And IMDb has him best known for four episodes of something called Night Sky. Okay. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, so whatever. Yeah, but he was in two episodes of Chicago PD as two different characters and two episodes of NCIS New Orleans as one single character. And was also in... Future entry, Lucky 7. If I'm not mistaken, that was the show with the lottery. Yep, that was the show with the lottery. Seven gas stations, Queens, New York, 
lottery ticket winners, everything changes. This was done much better on ABC in 1983 as lottery, or even better, done much better and even more done better in 1979 with sweepstakes. Which we discovered who was on that show, Chico, that we discovered was on sweepstakes. She was on one episode. But it bears mentioning. Diana Moldar was on an episode of Sweepstakes. Yeah. I wonder, did she go down an elevator shaft? I have to ask, what was Ed Kookie Burns thinking when he found out that Diana Moldar was going to be on an episode of Sweepstakes? I really don't want to talk about it. Not a Pulaski episode. Just as a heads up, if somebody has the episodes of Sweepstakes and puts them online, we may or may not get to it. We're just waiting for the episodes. Come on. You found Mr. Smith. You found the Sailor Moon pilot. Get on this, YouTube. (sighs) In the role of Chloe Solano, who is the sister of Danny Solano... Madeline Horcher, who was Sergeant Leach in Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. And Crystal Palace in one episode of Doom Patrol. Wait, Crystal Palace? Did she play the Crystal Palace football team on Doom Patrol? No, she played a single person named Crystal Palace. Oh, I don't care. Yeah. She also played Paige on 12 episodes of another Twin Peaks show, Big Sky. In the role of Gemma Fisher, the owner of the Crestview Inn, Sarah Jane Potts, who was in Casualty and Waterloo Road in her native UK. As the son of Ellie Miller and classmate of Danny Solano, Tom Miller, we have Jack Irvine, Jack Irvine, doesn't have much of a resume, but, you know, he's still young. Give him time. Some notable things he's been in was iZombie as Dirt Mustache, only the third greatest thing that Rose McIver has ever been in. Oh, Ghosts and Power Rangers. Correct. And rounding out the cast, the regular cast, as Dean Iverson, boyfriend of Chloe Solano, Kendrick Sampson, who was in, among other things, The Vampire Diaries, How to Get Away with Murder, The Flash, and Insecure. Now we also have some recurring characters. Allison Down plays Kathy Eaton, editor of the Grace Point Journal and co-worker of Owen Burke. Adam Graydon-Reed as Raymond Connolly, a phone engineer, Tom Butler as the chief of detectives Terrence Morgan, Darcy Laurie as Hugo Garcia, a crime scene investigator, Karen Mott as Detective Angela Schulz, and as Danny Solano himself, Nicholas Filipovich. I hope I got that right. Okay, so... These episodes are very lengthy and very detailed, so try and follow along as we go over them. See if you can't solve the mystery before we get to episode 10. 
Episode 1. Detective Ellie Miller is upset when Emmett Carver is assigned as lead detective when she was on vacation. Carver's first case is a cut barbed wire fence. Meanwhile, 12-year-old Danny Solano goes missing and his body is found at the base of cliffs overlooking the local beach. Beth Solano sees her son's body on the beach and breaks down. Having known the Solanos for years, Ellie deals with her own personal struggles as well as the Solanos. A crime scene officer says the crime scene was altered to look like an accident, and the pathologist said Danny was killed by blunt force trauma to the head. Carver and Ellie disclose the cause of Danny's death to the Solanos, and Mark identifies the body. Ellie's nephew and ambitious reporter Owen Burke extracts information from Ellie for a Twitter report causing tension with the police and upsetting the Solanos. Ellie takes the blame for Owen's action, and Carver is asked if he wishes to withdraw from the case, but he does not. Renee Clemens, reporter for the San Francisco Globe, arrives in town without her supervisor's permission to try and get an exclusive on the death. Beth visits the crime scene with Ellie, and Ellie expresses her grief to her husband, Joe. Ellie tells her son, Tom, about Danny's death, and then he secretly wipes his mobile phone and computer to remove evidence. Uh-oh. 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 Owen unwittingly provides Renee with a link to Chloe Solano, and CCTV footage shows Danny skateboarding down a street on the night of his murder. Ellie notes that Danny's phone and skateboard were not recovered at the crime scene and are indeed missing. At a press conference, Carver urges anyone to come forward if someone they know is behaving differently and remarks, We will catch whoever did this. Episode 2. After Ellie is given a list from the Solanos of those they think might have killed Danny, police discover cocaine in Chloe's bedroom and $500 under Danny's bed. Whoa! Whoa! It's like, I'm going to plan my own murder with blackjack and hookers. Ellie questions Chloe, who says she was holding it for her employer, Gemma Fisher, of the Crestview Inn. Gemma claims some guests were asking for the cocaine and Chloe provided it, but Jenna didn't know who gave it to Chloe. Ella promised to protect Gemma's reputation, causing an argument with Carver about protecting and trusting the townspeople. Carver is told by Jack Reinhold that he saw Danny talking and joking with a hiker on the cliffs ten days before his death. Beth feels stressed at home and goes to the supermarket only to break down after seeing Danny's favorite cereal. She confides to Paul Coates, her longtime friend and town priest, that she is pregnant. This prompts him to offer comfort to the community. At the police station, Ellie and Carver watch footage of the parking lot near the crime scene to see Mark waiting for someone. Bone engineer Raymond Connolly glimpses a file on Danny and tells them that he was told by Danny from beyond the grave that he was killed near water or a boat. Chloe tells boyfriend Dean that the cocaine was found. She gets upset when he insinuates it will come back on him. She walks away and meets Renee, who gives her a phone number for future use. Carver visits Susan Wright, caretaker of a beach house near the crime scene, to get the keys to it, and it is revealed that she is keeping Danny's skateboard inside her mobile home. When Ellie and crime scene technicians find Danny's blood and shoe prints at the beach house, Carver questions Mark. 
He initially lies about his alibi, but then reveals being out with a friend that he refuses to name. And Ellie calls Carver to say Mark's fingerprints were found inside the beach house. Playing the hiker in this episode was Brendan Fletcher, who is known for the short-lived Nickelodeon horse drama, Caitlin's Way. What the hell is Caitlin's Way? It's like 15 with a horse. So it's 15 with a horse. You know, it would be very great if, like, freaking uh, Laura Harris went horseback riding in one scene. She did voice a character on a My Little Pony movie. Wait, Laura Harris voiced a character in a My Little Pony movie? She did. Oh, that's amazing. But not the good My Little Pony movies, the ones that aired in the 80s. Oh, when she was a kid. Yeah. Episode 3. Mark is questioned at the police station. Carver and Ellie ask about the blood on his fishing boat and his fingerprints at the summer house near the crime scene. He claims the blood is from Danny, who cut his foot on a lure during a family fishing trip. He also says he fixed the burst pipe at the house, but caretaker Susan denies he did so. Mark says he was out with his coworker Vince on the night of the murder. Vince corroborates this, but his mother says he was with her, only leaving to make a pharmacy trip for her. Mark is arrested for obstructing the investigation. Raymond approaches Beth with a message from beyond the grave and tells her Danny was killed by someone close to the family in a boat. Tom Miller is questioned by Carver and reveals that Mark struck Danny. More about Carver's illness is revealed, and Beth considers Paul's proposal for a memorial service. Chloe texts Gemma for help, and Gemma tells the police that Mark was having sex with her the night Danny died. Mark is released, but when he refuses to tell Beth where he was the night Danny died, she all but accuses him of killing their son. Mark storms out to meet Gemma, Beth follows, and discovers his infidelity. Oh my god, it's the slap all over again. Renee asks Carver about his past and reveals she wants to discover Danny's killer because of Carver's failure to do so in the previous case. Ellie refuses to ask Chloe who gave her the cocaine, so Carver calls to say Chloe must do so the next day. Forensics then gives him a scrap of paper with a phone number pulled from Danny's clothing. Carver types the number into a reverse telephone directory. And that leads us to episode four. The phone number reveals a name, Lars Pearson, the backpacker that Reinhold saw talking to Danny. Pearson's photo is given to Mark in the hopes that someone in the family has seen him with Danny. Beth tells Ellie that Pearson once approached her at the visitor center, seeming cordial but acting odd after noticing a picture of her children. Chloe confesses that she got the cocaine from her boyfriend, Dean, shocker, adding that he is not a dealer, double shocker. Carver and Ellie question Dean, who claims the cocaine was a one-time thing. He also states, he only saw Danny a few times when he visited Chloe. The detectives take Dean to a supplier who, upon seeing him, then asks about the murdered kid. Danny was with Dean for the drug deal. Dean then states that he picked Danny up from walking outside of town, stopped for gas, and Danny stole a crossword puzzle book. 
The video footage of the theft, along with news that Chloe is dating an older boy that deals cocaine and the police not revealing anything about the case to the Solanos, deeply affects the family. Meanwhile, Carver gets a standing invitation to dinner at the Millers. Coates warns Connolly to stay away from Beth. Susan Wright and Vince are shown to have a history together. Tom looks up Pearson's location. And a boat is shown burning on the shoreline. Which leads us to episode five. Halfway through the show, folks. Ellie visits the Solano house in hopes of showing signs of normalcy, despite reminders of Danny not being there. Later, Carver has dinner with the Millers, where Joe innocently admits to not liking him. It's David freaking Tennant. How can you not like him? Back in his hotel room, Carver suffers a heart attack and collapses. Gemma finds him after a complaint from a neighbor. He later asks her to keep his health a secret. Susan is shown to not be who she says she is after a background check from her application at the hotel. Paul cautions the congregation to not look at the others with suspicion as that will cause them to turn against each other. Which leads us to episode six. Unlike the pilot and the rest of the series, this one's written by Jason Kim, just to let you know. Kathy, editor of the town newspaper, informs Ellie of Susan's past. Owen and Renee's investigation into Jack Reinhold's past, from losing his wife and child to a stint in prison, to now mentoring Grace Point's children, turns the town against him. He unalives himself by walking into the ocean while holding a family portrait of his deceased wife and son. The townsfolk gather to retrace Danny's path on the night of his death. Which leads us to episode 7. Tom goes missing after separating from his father on the way to school. Ellie and Carver question Lars Pearson, the backpacker seen with Danny just weeks before his death. Carver's daughter arrives at the police station, only to see that he is just as absorbed in his work here as he was back home. The Miller's marriage becomes tense as the search for Tom looks hopeless. Raymond Connolly gives Beth some clues about Tom, and she and Mark join in the search along with Paul, who finds Tom's bicycle. Which leads us to episode 8. Tom is found safe with some minor cuts from falling off of his bicycle. He tells his parents and Carver that he was looking for Pearson after seeing the name in Ellie's casebook and wanting to ask about Danny. After an interrogation with Pearson, Carver is told by Mark of Paul's obsession with Beth. His being cited at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and his finding both Tom and his bicycle. Beth meets with the mother of Nina, the victim, in the Rosemont case. The mother is now addicted to alcohol, pills, and sleep. This deeply affects Beth, who later decides to keep her unborn child. Carver speaks with Paul, who feels the town needs him again in order to cope. He also suggests that Carver will become the next outcast because he arouses the town's suspicion every day that he doesn't find the killer. Susan gives Danny's skateboard to Tom, 
then goes to the newspaper office where Kathy informs her that her past is now known. She is arrested but will not talk until they find her dog, which Vince has stolen. Paul finds Tom trying to destroy his laptop after Tom learns its hard drive can be checked. Ellie and Carver investigate the beach house when it's reported that a flashlight has been seen inside. They chase the intruder, but must stop when Carver collapses again. Which leads us to episode 9. Carver refuses to be hospitalized and continues with the investigation, despite warnings it could cause his death. Morgan advises him he will be removed from the force in 24 hours and forces him to turn over his gun. Ellie links Susan to Danny's murder through cigarette butts at the crime scene. Susan claims she saw Danny's body on the beach during a late night walk and tells Ellie her life story. Renee learns of Carver's collapse, and Carver contacts Raymond in a desperate attempt to solve the case. Owen blackmails Carver into giving him an exclusive, or he will publicly reveal Carver's health problems. Beth seeks Paul's counsel about keeping their baby, and Mark spots her leaving Paul's residence. Ellie confronts Susan, who claims she saw Vince arrive in a boat and leave the body and skateboard on the beach. Vince is arrested and the dog is found. Yay, the dog is found. Susan reveals that Vince is her son, and she believes he's a child murderer like his father. Vince says he went hunting with Danny without the Solanos' permission. Carver learns Danny's phone was used to report the summer house break-in, while Paul tells Carver that Tom and Danny were not getting along and gives him the smashed laptop he recovered from Tom. Carver meets for an interview with Kathy and Owen and confesses that his ex-wife was responsible for the loss of evidence that led to the collapse of the previous murder case. Carver took the blame to protect their daughter. Susan requests to see Vince, who threatens her, and she leaves Grace Point later that night. Size 10 footprints, the size of Vince's feet, are found at the summer house. Carver asks Ellie about a fight between Tom and Danny, then requests access to Tom's computer. So it's beginning to look a lot like Vince is your killer. But anything can happen in the final episode, episode 10. Carver questions Tom with Joe present about his laptop and its contents. He records the interview on his mobile phone. He informs Tom of knowing about blackmailing and threatening Paul as to who hit Danny. Later, Carver is told that Danny's cell phone is active again. What? To protect Ellie, he has her further question Vince, who is still jailed. Carver follows the cell signal to the Miller's house to find Joe with the phone in the garage. Joe relates what happened to Danny. The two of them had been close friends for three months. They met at the beach house, where Joe ultimately made a sexual advance on Danny, who ran outside. Joe apologized, saying life can return to normal. Life can never return to normal after that, Joe. No! However, 
Danny was horrified and tried to flee. He fell, hitting his head on a rock, and died. So yeah, you think it was a murder? Turns out, it was just an unfortunate accident. However, using the boat, Joe placed his body on the beach. When told, Ellie is horrified and takes her sons to a motel. There she informs Tom of his father's arrest, but Tom's behavior seems odd. Ellie figures it out. Tom killed Danny. Dun dun dun. He tells her that he witnessed the events at the beach, but tried to protect Danny from Joe with an oar. However, he accidentally struck Danny in the head, killing him. Both Joe and Ellie protect Tom. With Joe's arrest, the town holds a beach campfire ceremony. Carver and Ellie view it from a distance. Then, feeling uneasy, she leaves. Carver contacts his daughter to make peace, then watches Tom's recorded video. He sees a shared look between father and son when Tom states that, I never saw anyone else hit Danny. Carver knows the Miller's secret. And at the motel, Ellie doesn't answer his call. Which you would think would lead to something else. However, that's it. That's the end of the show. So, we gotta ask the question, what happened? Well, reviews were mixed. Though high praise was given to both Anna Gunn and David Tennant, the consensus said that, while it may suffer in comparison to its British predecessor, Broadchurch, Grace Point brings an engrossing, sophisticated, and stylish crime drama to network television with Anna Gunn as a commanding lead. You know, this show would have done a whole lot better if the world did not know that Broadchurch existed. Okay, I'm looking at the schedule, so do you want me to go over the schedule for this? Please, please do. Okay, so this aired 9 o'clock on Thursday night on Fox. Now, first, on the CW, Rain. I do not know what Rain is. Oh, it's a period drama involving Adelaide Kane as Mary Queen of Scots. Okay, Mary Queen of Scots. That's what all the kids want to see on the CW. A very sexed up Mary Queen of Scots. Yes. Now on NBC, we have two future entries. First, we have Bad Judge. Do you remember Bad Judge, Chico? I do now. That's with uh, Kate Walsh, and she plays, oh, get this, a Bad Judge. Another 13 Reasons Why cast member. And then at 9.30, you have A to Z. Remember that? Ben Feldman I... and Kristen Molotti playing a couple? Yeah, I was like, I remember it as the show with the mother, Kristen Milioti, and somebody else. Well, this was Ben Feldman's last thing he did before Superstore. It was like in between his stint on Mad Men and before Superstore, so... Okay. And then on 
ABC, we have Scandal, which, yeah, you'd think normally that would do it. Shonda Land. Shonda Rhimes did Scandal. But this also combined with Scandal is the killer. On CBS, Thursday Night Football. There it is. That's the killer right there. Because remember, this was in that period where CBS was simulcasting Thursday Night Football with NFL Network. If I'm not mistaken, they did it for half the season and then Fox did it for the other half of the season. No, the way it worked was the first two years, 2014-2015, CBS simulcasted it the whole season. And then 2016 and 2017, CBS had half the season with NFL Network. Then NBC had half the season. Then in 2018, Fox took it over. Oh, I get you. But yeah, I'm looking at the ratings for each episode. Uh, the first episode logged in a total of 4.76 million viewers. Not bad. But then it dropped almost a full million for episode two. 3.8 million and it just held steady in the mid 3 million range until the final episode where it went back up to 4 million. So after ratings topped off from the premiere, it stayed in that middle 3 million range until the finale. It never got more than 5 million watching, and if I'm not mistaken, never really exploded on demand either. Fox ultimately saw it as too expensive a production with not enough return on investment. And billing it as a limited series from the start, Fox decided to cut its losses and move on to the next thing, which for Chris Chibnall would be season two of Broadchurch and ultimately Doctor Who, where he would turn to an old friend to take up the mantle of the Doctor, when Jodie Whittaker was brought on as number 13. You know, before Russell T. Davies decided, you know what, I'm going to Grover Cleveland the Doctor order. Because we all know. The rules of the Doctor's regenerations are whatever we need them to be at the time? Or whatever the writers, like, think of at, like, that moment. Yeah. Like, none of it makes any sense anymore. Let's be honest. Yeah, remember... He was only supposed to have 13 lives, and that's it. But then, the folks from the home office beamed him a new set of lives. Anyway, if you want to watch Grace Point from the beginning, all 10 episodes are available to watch right now for free on Pluto TV, Prime Video, Freebie, and your favorite, Greg, Tubi. Because as we all know, and as I say many times in this podcast, Tubi will air any old crap. You know what? Don't cry for anybody involved with this show. Michael Pena's in the MCU. And he's in that Amazon Prime movie about that astronaut. Anna Gunn, she's got work as well. If I'm not mistaken, she's going to appear in Most Dangerous Game and Physical. Not to mention, she was in Deadwood the movie and 10 episodes of Shades of Blue. What is Shades of Blue? 
It's another gritty crime procedural. And of course, David Tennant would be in almost everything on my streaming queue. DuckTales, Asuka, Good Omens. Good Omens with... Yeah, I forgot about Good Omens with Michael Sheen. Yeah. It's like, I know season three is about to happen. I just need to know when. And Nick Nolte will always be Nick Nolte. But yeah, Jack Irvin, the little kid, he was your killer. But Fox wanted this to be the next gritty drama, the next buzzy drama, but there isn't room on network television for a gritty, buzzy drama. No, if this was on cable, it would be another thing. Yeah. I mean, you look at Mad Men, Breaking Bad, uh, things on AMC, like Silicon Valley, Kevin can himself. Wait, AMC? No, Silicon Valley was on AMC. Oh, wait, no, on... Silicon Valley was on HBO. I'm I'm thinking of, uh, what, what's that, what's that show with uh, the Apple execs? I have no idea what you're talking about. If anyone wants to tell us what that show is, email it was the thing on TV at gmail.com. But, yeah, there is no room on a broadcast schedule for a gritty, realistic serial such as this. And it's a shame because it was actually a really good show. I mean, I watched all of it on Pluto, and it was just a really well-produced show. But unfortunately, because it was on Fox and they wouldn't know what to do with anything that wasn't American Idol, Grace Point just became a thing on TV. A very expensive not as lucrative as anybody had hoped thing on TV. Shame, really. Wow! I'm so sorry. I've seen this before. Sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry, Billy. I am very, very sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry. I swear, I'm so sorry, but you've got to try. I'm sorry. I am so, so sorry. Oh, Dave, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, Miss Hartigan. But look at what you've become. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry with all of my heart. Episode 424, Submission 394, Class. Now, just to be clear, this is not to be confused with The Class, which we covered in a previous episode, the show from CBS around 2006 to 2007. No, this is a completely other class. And also not to be confused with previous entry, Drexel's Class. Class aired on BBC3, from now let me get this straight i want to be technically correct since this is from the uk it aired from the 22nd of october 2016 to the 3rd of december 2016 for eight episodes that is for the record half a crock block yes 
that is eight episodes shy of the mark set by Uncle Croc's Block, Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck, Schooled, Misfits of Science, and the aired episodes of Salvage One. Yes. All by memory. What? It's also the second entry in three episodes, which also comes from the year 2016. How about that? No entries from 2016 in the first 421 episodes, and now we have two in the last three shows. Go figure. Is there a theme song to this? Yes, there is. Okay. I need to find it. Oh, the opening theme is Up All Night. That's the title of this. It's a copyrighted song, so I guess we'll be in trouble by YouTube. But okay, whatever. Here it is. To be honest, if you had told me that was a mid-2010s WWE entrance theme song instead of the theme for class, I would have probably believed you. Well, in 1963, when Doctor Who started, and this will be key when we discuss our next subject next week, it was originally set in a school called Kroll Hill Academy. This was the school that the doctor's granddaughter, Susan Foreman, attended with her teachers, Ian and Barbara. And, well, let's just say Ian and Barbara were suspicious of Susan, and they chase her to a junkyard, and then uh, hilarity ensues. 60 years worth of hilarity. And wacky shenanigans happen, too. You forgot tomfoolery and skullduggery. That's it. But over the years, Doctor Who has kind of come back on occasion to the Cole Hill Academy. Of course, notably in the new series, it was featured prominently in Peter Capaldi's run of Doctor Who, where Clara Oswald was a teacher at Cole Hill Academy. And this kind of sets up, in a way, the Doctor's adventures by the Doctor. I mean, the 12th Doctor, of course, played by Peter Capaldi, setting up this show. By the way, fun fact, Peter Capaldi related to Louis Capaldi. He's the uncle of Louis Capaldi. And every time I hear that, uh, that one song, I'm a dancer, I was hoping for somebody, you know, I just think, that guy's uncle's the doctor. And he's famous his own damn self. Think about that. Well, wasn't Peter Capaldi also in a band with Craig Ferguson? Not many people know this. That is true. Peter Capaldi was in a band with Craig Ferguson. But again, if you are a big Doctor Who fan, which Greg and I are, you know he could really shred on his guitar there. Of course, Stephen Moffat, the executive producer at the time of Doctor Who, 
made this show. And we talked about Stephen Moffat before, obviously, when we talked about the American version of coupling way back when. Oh, man. That was a tough choice going through coupling. Well, it serves to remind us all that Stephen Moff had a very multifaceted career. On one hand, you have some of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever. And on the other hand, you have the American version of coupling. But let's be honest, he had a limited role in that, so. Very limited. He was like, you know what? If you could just take my name off of that, that would be awesome. But Chica, what is class about? Okay, this was actually the brainchild of not only Stephen Moffat, but noted science fiction author Patrick Ness, who, by the way, has dual citizenship, U.S., U.K. Oh. Yeah, so this show picks up where the events of the 50th anniversary left off, and the show features a class of students from Cole Hill Academy and their teacher, all of whom have a various degree of secret double life. For one, star student Charlie Smith is actually an alien prince of the Rodians, the last of his species saved by the Doctor from another more hostile species called the Shadowkin. For another, their physics teacher, Andrea Quill, is actually Androth, Last of her kind, the Quill, sworn enemies of the Rodians and subject to a psychic link to Charlie after launching an unauthorized war against the Rodians. Together with Charlie's classmates, they are tasked by the 12th Doctor himself, Peter Capaldi, to protect the world from any threat to Coal Hill Academy when he is unable to do so himself. So, who is in the class of class? Not to be confused with the class of the class. We've already talked about this, Greg. If only John Burnfall was in this. I keep telling you. Are we talking about John Burnfall from his later lighthearted roles or John Burnfall from The Punisher with his myriad of Second Amendment devices. Oh, that would be hilarious. It'd be like that Tom Berenger movie, The Substitute. Remember The Substitute with Tom Berenger? Yeah, I do, actually. I'm thinking to myself, you know what class could be best described as? What would happen if The Substitute and the faculty had a kid and it had Doctor Who guts? Oh, hold on a second. This is the second time this week I get an excuse to mention Laura Harris on this podcast because she was in the faculty with Jon Stewart and Josh Hartnett and Elijah Wood. Man, I got to watch that movie sometime. What? It was a good movie. I liked it. Anyway, let's talk about the class behind class. Playing Charlie Smith, Greg Austin, who was in 30 episodes, or the entire run, of Mr. Selfridge. But he was also in 18 episodes of Prime Video's Hunters with Al Pacino. And you know what that means. 
Oh, that's right. Something's brewing at D&D. Wow! Al Pacino! It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, Kua, Lottie Light. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunka, 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 Dunkachino. I think one of the underappreciated parts of the Dunkachino song is how he works in some of his famous lines from the movies. Like, Attica, I know it was you. He works in a reference to Ooh, out of and he works in a reference to out of sight. This whole trial is out of order. Playing Ram Singh, an expert footballer. And by football, I of course mean association football. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the football Ted Lasso coaches. Word. Fadi El Sayed, who was in Gangs of London on AMC. And, spoiler alert, Ram loses his right leg in the first episode. Guess who gives him a new prosthetic one? Who would that be? Who would that be? Oh. Next, we have April McLean, an ordinary, unremarkable student whose life is forever changed when she encounters the king of the Shadowkin, Karakinus. She's played by... Sophie Hopkins, who was in Hurt by Paradise, Wolf, and The Watchtower, all noted British productions, not so much anything on this side of the Atlantic. Tanya Adeola, a child prodigy of Nigerian descent who moved up three years at Cole Hill due to her outstanding examination results and truly extraordinary academic capability is played by Vivian Opara, who, like Sophie Hopkins, wasn't in much of anything on this side of the Atlantic, but her credits do include movies like Rye Lane, Teen Spirit, and five episodes of something called The Rebel. She's currently starring in Then You Run, which according to my research, as a character named Stink, which is airing on something called Skymax. I assume it's a offshoot of Sky. Yes. Unfortunately, not an offshoot of HBO Max. And rounding out the cast is Andrea Quill, real name Andra'a, the physics teacher, an alien and the last of her species, longtime war enemies with the Rodians. As punishment for her leadership of a war against the Rodians, Quill is psychically linked to Charlie and must act as his protector. She's played by Catherine Kelly, who is known for six episodes of Happy Valley from 2016. 
and was on Coronation Street for six years, from 2006 to 2012. Mm -hmm. And after that, she joined Greg Austin on Mr. Selfridge. Which, by the way, has Jeremy Piven as the lead. Which, that's weird. There is one other member of the class, Mateusz Andrzejewski. He is the boyfriend of one of the characters. I'm assuming it's Charlie's boyfriend. Yes, it is. Okay, he's played by Jordan Renzo, who is in episodes of Little America and The Witcher. And his character is born and raised in Poland, even though the actor is not Poland. So it's probably like the uh, how on 15 in season one, that one guy from Finland, fake-ass Finn that you told me. Olaf, played by born and bred Canadian Aubrey Nealon. Who does not have a Finnish accent in the acting at all. And let's just say, Ryan Reynolds, he's very hesitant to play chess with him. You know what? We could talk about Ryan Reynolds all day, but let's talk about the episodes here. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with episode one for tonight. We might die. April, a student at Cole Hill Academy, asks Tanya to help with the decorating for the prom. Tanya has to decline, so April asks Charlie to be her date. He rejects her to the amusement of Ram. The four all attend class with Miss Quill, a blunt and sharp woman. April hands out flyers after school for help decorating the prom hall. After speaking to April, Charlie decides that he will ask a male student, Matus, to the prom. Ram attends football practice and watches as a separate shadow attaches to the shadow of another player. Tanya decides to help out with the prom decorations before she is chased away by another shadow and returns home to her strict lover. Charlie lives with Miss Quill, and he questions her about a missing student and whether she killed him. She recalls giving the student her gun, and the student exploded into smoke after firing off a shot. The headmaster leaves a key with April so that she can decorate the hall. Ram video chats with Tanya and watches as she is attacked by a shadow alien, while April's hand is trapped by a shadow. Quill demands that April uses her gun to shoot the monster, but Charlie stops her. The shot glances the alien, Korakinis, resulting in him sharing April's heart after his onus is placed. Ew! Charlie reveals that he is an alien and was a prince. His people were at war with the Quill, and Miss Quill was the leader of the opposition. She was captured and forced to serve and protect Charlie. Rhodia was attacked by Korakinis' people, the Shadowkin, who wiped out all but Charlie and Miss Quill, who were rescued by the Doctor. At the prom, Matus cheers April up by inviting her to dance with him and Charlie. Tanya is able to attend while Ram attends with his date, Rachel. April experiences pain from being linked to Korakinis, and Korakinis appears and kills Rachel, severs Ram's leg, and crushes Quill's gun. The doctor arrives to rescue them. Korakinis states that he is here for the Cabinet of Souls, the resting place for Charlie's people after they die. The kin believe it to be a weapon. Charlie says that the cabinet is empty. Tanya, with assistance from the doctor, turns on the gym's floodlights to eliminate the shadows that give the kin substance. Ram slams Korakinis back into the rift, and the doctor closes the breach. 
the doctor gives Ram a prosthetic leg from the tortoise and charges the five students in Quill to safeguard the school against alien attacks. Whilst Tanya helps Ram deal with his stress, Quill muses that she would have used the Cabinet of Souls to wipe out the Shadowkin. However, Troy disagrees. Troy looks into the Cabinet of Souls, revealing that it is not empty, and reassures his people with his presence. And of course, Chico, guest starring as the Doctor. Yeah, we just mentioned Peter Capaldi. Yeah, totally mentioned him. Yeah, you know, Peter Capaldi, Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it. He also played the Doctor in World War Z. And do you know who he played in World War Z? Who did he play in World War Z? Exactly, he played Who Doctor. Not Who, W-H-O. The World Health Organization. Yes. I don't know, third base. Okay, so we have in the role of Mr. Frank Armitage, Nigel Betts, who spent 40 years as Eddie Hope on Emmerdale Farm, which is another soap opera that is not Coronation Street or EastEnders. And it's not Neighbors either. That's Australian. Whatever. And it's also on freebie. I bet it doesn't have any of the episodes with uh, Chris Hemsworth and... uh... Freaking, uh, what's her face? Oh, I'm gonna kill myself for not Kylie Minogue, oh, Margot Minogue. Robbie, Kylie Minogue, Natalie and Brulia. No, heard... these are the new episodes. These are the new episodes. They're on freebie. I'm like, does okay, does okay. I gotta ask anybody listening, I have a question. Does the new version of Neighbors have at least one Hemsworth brother? Well, hold on. In about 10 years, maybe their kids are going to be on Neighbors. My mom like, is Miley Cyrus. Maybe Liam's kid's going to be on Neighbors in 10 years. That'd be great. Another connection to Doctor Who in this episode. Playing Korakinus. Paul Mark Davis. Yes, I'm aware Chico pronounces it Korakinus, and I pronounce it Korakinus. Tomato, tomato, whatever. He's worked on Harry Potter. He's worked on the Sarah Jane Adventures as the trickster. He was in six episodes of that. He played Simon the Pharisee in the Bible and its sequel, Son of God. Is that the one that friggin' uh, Mark Burnett did? No, this is another one. Okay. Because I thought Mark Burnett did something about the Bible in the miniseries. He did. But this is the British version. Actually, it wouldn't shock me if this was the Mark Burnett one, because who played Mother Mary on this one? Roma Downey, his wife. Oh, wow. What inspired casting? Mark Burnett probably cast his wife in this. Episode 2, which is titled, The Coach with the Dragon Tattoo. Gee, that doesn't reference anything, I bet. Ram struggles to recover from the attack at the prop. Coach Dawson scolds him for poor performance in the football and demotes him to the second string team. That week, Ram witnesses a creature slaughter, both the assistant coach and a school cleaner, but struggles to find evidence of their deaths after the fact, leading him to question his sanity. 
Tanya, Charlie, and April investigate on his behalf and learn that a dragon manifesting in different parts of the school is connected with Coach Dawson. They learn that the coach was bound to a female dragon who came through a rift in time and became fused to his body as a tattoo. Its mate roams the school, killing in order to feed her. Convinced by the six formers, the male dragon takes his mate, along with the coach, back through the tear in time. Bram later tells his father about the events thus far. First of all, his father, Varun Singh, played by Aaron Neal, who was in Paddington 2 as Spoon. I'm guessing he was one of the prisoners that Paddington made marmalade with. He was also in Peaky Blinders and Tracy Ullman's show in 2016. Not to be confused with The Tracy Ullman Show, but Tracy Ullman's show. Also, a voice in Warhammer 40k Darktide. And can currently be heard on Netflix's Castlevania Nocturne as Mizrak. Episode 3. Night visiting. On the second anniversary of her father's death, Tanya is visited by an apparition of him, employing her to take his hand and bond their souls across time and space. She questions the apparition out of the possibility of hallucination. She doubts everything when he has legitimate memories of her and himself. He says if she goes with him, she will find closure and be relieved of her grief. Throughout East London, Alien vines emerging from the space-time tear at Coal Hill are capturing Londoners with images of dead loved ones. Even Miss Quill is visited by an entity that claims to be her sister. However, Quill is much more skeptical and doesn't believe what she is seeing. During a video call with April, Ram gets a visitation from Rachel, his late girlfriend, but he flees from her and meets April outside. On the streets, Ram finds the alien has already claimed victims everywhere, with people covered in green, slimy vines in shops in the end of the streets. April joins him eventually. They investigate together and grow closer. April tells Ram about how her mom ended up in her wheelchair. When she was eight, her dad attempted to drive off a bridge with her and her mom inside. Ram and April then kiss. Matus and Charlie take their relationship to the next level after Matus is kicked out of home by his parents. Charlie allows him to live with him that night. They confess their love to each other and have sex. Ooh! Quill confirms her suspicions of her too nice quote-unquote sister, learning it is really a projection of a hungry alien creature called the Landkin that feeds on the grief of creatures while it's killing them in the process. Will gets Charlie to stab it in the hand with a screwdriver, which destroys her branch of the landkin. Quill, Charlie, and Matus then go outside to help defeat the creature. Ram and April find the landkin has grown out of a tear in space at the front of Coal Hill. They spot one main tentacle and direct themselves to where it ends, which turns out to be Tanya's house. As Tanya and the landkin continue to talk, the more aggressive the landkin gets proving Tanya's theory of it being a trap. It's a trap! It's a trap! It's a trap! Just in time, Ram and April arrive at her house. Her mother and brothers had been attacked during their sleep, leaving Tanya as the only one awake. But Tanya ends up ignoring them and grafts the landkin. 
The Lankin is tricked by Tanya, being poisoned by her high amount of anger for her father instead of her grief. But this doesn't weaken it enough. Matus and Charlie try to cut the vines from outside her flat, but fail as they continue to regenerate. Quill drives a double-decker bus straight through the main vine of the Lankin, yanking the apparition of Tanya's dad out of her bedroom, destroying her window, ultimately stopping the creature in its tracks. Everyone on the streets is returned with no one harmed, but their memories of what happened are gone. The group confines and discusses what happened, whilst Quill watches feeling slightly left out, but put off by the comfort they show. Back at her house, she gets out her broken gun and promises herself to get it back. All right. Playing her father, her father, Jasper Adeola, Kobna Holdbrook-Smith. He was also in Paddington 2 as the warden of the prison. But Greg? Yeah. He played Detective Crispus Allen in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, fantastic. So you got to see him in glorious full-screen aspect ratio. Because remember, Zack Snyder stylized it to fit the IMAX frame, which is basically almost the equivalent of a SDTV in 133.1. But more detailed. Okay, episode four. This is part one of a two-parter. It's called Co-Owner of a Lonely Heart. Much better than the owner of a broken heart. I'm sorry. No, you're not. No. In the underneath the home planet of the Shadow Kid, King Korakinis summons one of his followers, Rennes, who tries to cut the link between Korakinis' heart and April's. However, his magic only ends up making the connection even stronger, as Korakinis executes Rennes for his failure. April, sharing his rage and having lost control for an instant, realizes that she can now summon dark swords like the Shadow Kid. Meanwhile, Charlie reveals the Cabinet of Souls to Matus. Back at school, April still feels the effects of her connection with Korakinis, and as a result gets angered during a class on the subject of war. She tells Ram, who she started a romantic relationship with in the previous episode, but as they ponder what to do, they are interrupted by April's father, Hugh, who recently was released from prison, and is estranged by the family after he tried to kill himself. They are interrupted by April's father, Hugh, recently released from prison and estranged by the family after he tried to kill himself, April, and her mother in a suicide attempt. As the conversation heats up, April, influenced by Korakinis, summons a shadow sword and scares him away. As April and Ram bond further make love, Korakinis, unable to control the feelings he has from April, also has sex with Karis, another shadow kid, attempting to help him. April's lovers subsequently find April and Ram in bed together. There's a lot of sex on this show. Sex, sex, sex all over the place on Torchwood. Yeah, and fun fact, only half of that came from Captain Jack. Back at school, Miss Quill meets the new head teacher, Dorothea Ames, replacing Mr. Armitage, who died in the coach with the dragon tattoo, and is considered, quote-unquote, missing. Charlie talks more about the Cabinet of Souls to Matus, stating that theoretically, in the hands of a, quote-unquote, hero, the souls of his race contained inside the Cabinet will take over the body they are attacking. Instead of destroying it, they thus become alive again. 
Miss Quill happens to overhear one of their conversations. Fury said the discovery that Charlie has at his deposition a weapon capable of eradicating the Shadow Kid, thus taking revenge for the massacre of both Charlie and Quill's races. She is summoned by the new principal who reveals that she knows everything about the recent events at the Academy and the true identities of both Miss Quill and Charlie. She also reveals that she is working for the governors, whom Miss Quill first discovered in the couch with the dragon tattoo, and warns her about the ongoing invasion of killer petals who feed on meat to multiply and have been taking over the city since the previous night. Finally, she reveals that she might be able to remove the creature inside of Quill's head, thus allowing her to have her free will back. As April's in dispute with her mother about her relationship with Bram, her father comes back once again. Karis happens to be trying to cut the link once again at the same time. As she fails, Corkinus executes her and April, sharing his rage, loses control, and comes close to killing her father. At the last moment, however, she successfully fights against Corkinus's influence and her own hatred against her father, sparing him. As Karis' experiment turns out to be a partial success, Corkinus discovers April's location. After sharing some of her connection to the Shadowkin with her mother, Thus repairing her legs, April makes the choice to go directly to Korakinis before he comes to Earth. Leaping through a tear in space-time to the underneath, Ram follows her right before the passage closes up. And now we go to part two of the two-porter, Bravish Heart. Dorothea Ames tells Quill that she and the governors believe Quill may be an asset in repelling alien incursions. Ames reveals that the Cabinet of Souls myth is real and offers to free Quill from the Orn if Quill forces Charlie to use the weapon to destroy the petals. Charlie, Matus, and April's parents arrive at Cole Hill. Dorothea explains the threat. Charlie, Matus, Quill, and Ames go to the cabinet. Quill asks Charlie to avenge their peoples by destroying the Shadowkin instead of the petals. Charlie refuses to use the weapon as it would destroy his people's souls and leave him with no identity. Ames threatens Charles and Matus with a gun. Matus incapitates her. Tanya updates Varen. They join April's parents at Coal Hill, and Tanya diffuses the adults' argument over Ram and April's relationship. The petals begin to devour humans. April and Ram search the underneath, the Shadowkin planet, to find and kill Korakinis. Though this will also kill April, April's connection to Korakinis grants her Shadowkin knowledge and the ability to track him, but Korakinis can also censor. April confronts and defeats Korakinis and April's connection to Jackie enables April to open a passage to Earth. Hugh convinces April not to execute Korakinis, and the humans return to Earth. April realizes she is king of the Shadowkin. She orders the Shadowkin to imprison Korakinis, destroy the petals, return to the underneath, and destroy the passage. Charlie finally activates the cabinet, but stops when the petals are destroyed. He admits he doesn't know whom he would have targeted. Ames admits to Quill, that the governors expected April to save Earth, and that the petals shared one soul. Her goal was to study Charlie and Quill. Ames reaffirms the offer to free Quill. Korakinis destroys the anchor, reverting his connection to April to its former state. April loses her powers as no longer king. April affirms that Hugh must stay away unless she or Jackie seeks conflict. April helps Jackie take her first step. Playing Dorothea Ames is a lady by the name of Pookie Quesnell. Not known for any one thing in particular, but was in multiple things. The most notable for us Yankees would be three different characters in three episodes of The Bill. 
which is basically Coronation Street if it was Hill Street Blues. Episode 6, Detained. Okay, now this is a long recap, folks. The episode opens with Miss Quill accompanying Charlie to detention for being a few minutes late to a class earlier that day. As he protests, Quill reminds him that although he forced her into slavery and refuses to avenge the genocides of their species using the cabinet of souls, she as a teacher has the authority to put him in detention. When they arrive, Charlie realizes that all the other students tasked by the doctor to protect the school were also placed in detention by Quill. Before he can react, Quill locks the door, hinting that she has other matters to attend and wants to keep them out of her way. As Charlie starts getting panicked due to his claustrophobia, April, who has another key, opens the door for him. As she does, a meteor flies through a nearby tear in space and time right into the detention room, causing an explosion. The students are unharmed, but realize that the room seems to simply be floating into black. The students start by wondering what happened to them. After rolling out that it was part of Miss Quill's plan and deciding that they are not in space, they come to the conclusion that something came out of a crack in space and time. They quickly find the meteor and understand that it is responsible for the situation. Things get out of control as they fear the meteor causes radiation, and Matus deciding to act grabs the meteor to throw it by the door. Oh, that's not going to work. Nope. However, before he can do it, he is hit by the strange effects of the stone. Without any apparent reason, he starts telling events of back when he lived in Poland and came out to his grandmother, before suddenly telling his boyfriend Charlie that he, despite loving him, he is also afraid of him because Charlie is not human. He refuses to let go of the stone until April knocks it away from him. Being back to normal, Matus explains that he does not know why he said those things, but they were all true. He insists that it was only part of the truth, but Charlie's hurt. While they continue trying to find a solution, everyone keeps being angry, even as they realize it and find no reason to be angry. This leads Tanya to the conclusion that the stone is of alien origin, forcing whoever holds it to tell the truth and is making them more angry. Finally, she makes the assumption that the stone may somehow communicate via the person holding it and grabs it herself. Like Matu, she tells her story about her past life relating to her having to admit the truth. Then forced to honesty by the stone, she states that none of the other students are actually her friends and that they all look down on her because she is younger. However, having concluded that as she cannot tell lies, she might answer to questions regarding the meteor. She makes the others question her about their situation. The trick works and she reveals that the stone quote-unquote fries your brain if one holds it too long and that it is sentient wants to use them, and is a quote-unquote prisoner. Ram then knocks the stone away from her before it is too late. This reads like what we would call in the business a bottle episode. And one crucial cast member is missing. Yeah, you'll find out more about that in the next episode. But continuing further with the recap, and as I said, it's a long recap, Charlie tries to see if they can escape through the nothingness, but finds out that it is a mirror portal that immediately brings anything back inside, having concluded that they now share the meteor's prison. The students decide they must use the stone again to find how to get out. However, they also conclude that only those who did not use the stone yet can do it, as the ones who already did might die should they try again. Ram volunteers and grabs the meteor. He is forced to confess to April that he is in love with her, but is able to reveal that the prisoner is a male and a murderer who took many lives. But also part of this as a punishment, he is forced to always say the truth, explaining the stone's effects on them, 
Bram also felt like the prisoner was somehow gaining strength from their confessions and wants to kill them. The students are fighting more and more due to the influence of the stone, but also to all they truly feel after the last revelations. Forced to act faster as Charlie starts having panic attacks due to his claustrophobia, April grabs the meteor, who has gotten more powerful. She is able to reveal that they were taken out of space and time, meaning that they will not age or die, but will stay trapped forever. However, for those reveals, she also had to admit to Ram that she does not love him. Without having to hold the stone, Charlie reveals his feelings to the others. He tells them that he deeply desires to murder the entire Shadowkin using the Cabinet of Souls in revenge for them slaughtering his entire race, even if it means losing everything he cares for. He also admits that sometimes he hates Batus for being the main reason why he doesn't do it, and that none of the other students really know him. He finally grabs the meteor, thinking he has nothing left to confess before realizing and admitting that he knows he will eventually lose Batus. As Charlie had confessed every secret he had and proved he was more guilty in his heart than the prisoner himself, the stone breaks and the classroom and students are teleported back to their normal place in space and time. However, the prison meteor, recognizing Charlie as a guilty criminal, because that is what he feels in his heart, attempts to trap him inside of the stone forever alongside the prisoner. He is saved by returning Miss Quill, who shoots the meteor and destroys it. As the other students leave the classroom, deeply angry at each other, after all those revelations, Charlie asks a transformed Quill, now with a scar on her left eye and inexplicably longer hair than 45 minutes ago, how she is now able to use a gun. She reveals that the creature he put in her mind to enslave her and stop her from running wild had been removed, and that she now has her freedom of action back. She states that things are going to change. Uh-oh. 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 And now... What happened to Miss Quill in Episode 7, The Metaphysical Engine, or What Quill Did? Having left the students in detention, Miss Quill joins head teacher Dorothea Ames, who promised to help her remove the creature known as the Orn, forcing her to obey Charlie's authority. They are joined by Balin, an alien kept prisoner by the governors, whose shape-shifting abilities have been frozen. The three travel using a metaphysical engine, that can transport themselves to recreate their ideas of any place as long as this place is believed in. During their travels, they find an orange specimen to study, obtain the blood of the quote-unquote devil to unfreeze Valiant's shape-shifting abilities so that he can perform a surgery on Quill, and obtain the brain of a Quill goddess to study before returning to Cole Hill. Balin performs the surgery and removes the orange, leaving Quill's face and eyes scarred, but setting her free. Having bonded and developed feelings during their journey, the two rejoice about their success and have sex, but eventually realize that they are in fact in the Cabinet of Souls, before being told by a hologram of Dorothea that the governors never intended to let both of them return to Earth alive, and that there is only enough energy for one else to return. Having no choice, Quill and Balin fight each other, Balin eventually appears victorious, having grabbed the gun left by Ames and aiming at Quill, who accepts her death. But when he reluctantly fires her weapon, fires at himself instead, killing him and leaving Quill in shock and grief. Having escaped the cabinet, Quill finally returns to the students, tying in with the events of Detained. As time passes differently inside the cabinet, it has only been 45 minutes for them, but an entire day for her. Additionally, her body has grown several months older. She saves Charlie and reveals that she is now free of the on. 
after she passes out from exhaustion, Charlie and Matus realize that she is several months pregnant. Ooh. Playing Balan is Chike Okonkwo, who was in two seasons of La Brea. Whether he shows up in the third, whether there is a third, I don't know. Because strike. But yeah, he is in La Brea. The gang is splintered. They are alienated and alone, unable to recover from the truths they faced in detention. Miss Quill is in hibernation, but she is a ticking time bomb, ready for revenge when she wakes. Lost without one another, the gang must reunite when the Shadowkin return to Earth. Raging a ruthless, unrelenting war, Cora Kinnis returns to Earth through minute tears in space-time and murders Ram's father and Tanya's mother. Following this, Tanya seeks the help of Quill and discovers her pregnancy. Charlie and Matus confront and threaten Ames into helping them. Korakinis returns and attempts to kill Tanya's brothers. Quill steps in to save them, but not before Korakinis is able to tie his life to Charlie's. Quill teaches Tanya how to fight in preparation for an inevitable war, whilst both Ram and Tanya command Charlie to use the Cabinet of Souls in order to prevent any more people from dying. Korakinis threatens to kill Matus and tells April that he will leave Earth if she sacrifices herself. However, this is proven to be a lie. When the Shadow can invade Earth and take over the streets, Charlie is left with no choice but to use the Cabinet of Souls, which is expected will also kill April and himself. The Cabinet wipes out every last Shadowkin, unleashing it across the city of London. Quill saves Charlie from the Cabinet from killing him. Meanwhile, April awakens in the body of Cora Kinnis. Elsewhere, Ames returns to the Governors, where she is judged unfit to continue serving them, or witness the quote-unquote arrival for having allowed the cabinet to be used, and is murdered by a weeping angel. Yeah, because, you know, a weeping angel will basically misplace you in time and space and force you to live to death. And that's the show! Yeah, nice clean ending there, but it did kind of leave room for more should the need arise. In fact, in June 2017, Patrick Ness, who wrote all of the episodes, had plans for a second season, but he would not be contributing as a writer. BBC heads got the word. They noticed that not many people were watching it digitally or linearly on BBC One. Not many people were watching it here on BBC America, who helped bankroll the series. So the BBC decided on the 7th of September in 2017 that they were going to cancel the show. But don't feel too bad, because as is common with Doctor Who, who comes to save the day for this show? Big Finish Productions, of course. They produced four series of audio dramas based on class that take place during the run of the series. And you can download them digitally on Big Finish's website, or if you still love physical media, they are available to purchase on CD. And also, all eight episodes are available on DVD, or 
if you can't be bothered with physical media, they are available for $15, you said it was, Greg? $15 in SD, but $22.99 in HD. Yes. And that would be on YouTube or Prime Video or Apple TV. So what can we say about class? It definitely had class. I mean, it was as Doctor Who as a Doctor Who spinoff would get. Still not in league with uh, Sarah Jane or Torchwood. And ultimately, class, despite several key connections with Doctor Who, it was just a thing on TV. But before we go... This is CNN Breaking News. That didn't take long. As we record this, Game 1 of the World Series is going on, and Kettle Mart stole a base. Oh, that means we get a taco. That means we get a taco. I mean, isn't that promotion, like, the most ridiculous promotion ever? Someone steals a base in the World Series and you get a taco. It's like, that can happen in, like, any game. Like, you know that's a given. Yep. In fact, I have a list of all of the people who have stolen a base since the promotion began in 2007. Jacoby Ellsbury, Jason Bartlett, Angel Pagan, Lorenzo Kane, Francisco Lindor, hi Mike, Cameron Rabin, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts again, Ozzy Albies, Kyle Schwarber, and now Kettle Mart. Why did you say me? Because freaking Francisco Lindor plays here now. Oh, he was in Cleveland when he stole the taco. Yeah. You don't hear Mike saying that the, the, the Guardians won the Lindor trade anymore. Now that Ahmed Rosario got traded for Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> Nightmare scenario, Greg. And it's a good thing Mike's not here, or else he would have scolded me for bringing up Noah Syndergaard's time in Cleveland. It's the show! Well, that's going to do it for this episode, sadly. But you can always go to our website at It Was a Thing on TV. We can listen to the 423 episodes that precede this one. And we've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including mini suds, live shows, extended versions, everything. And we are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon over at It Was a Thing on TV. Remember, if you're searching for us on Mastodon, we are at the instance tvwatch.party. So search for us at It Was a Thing on TV at tvwatch.party if you're on Mastodon. Just want to make that clear. And on Facebook, we are at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. You are at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, Audible, you name it. And don't forget, we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to this channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on this channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. Well, we continue our celebration of Doctor Who's 60th anniversary. And we're talking about two shows that decided, you know what? We're going to make our own Doctor Who with Blackjack and Hookers. Yes, one from Australia involves a stranger. And one from America involves a train. So I guess you could say the theme for next week's shows 
stranger on a train. I guess you'll have to find out more about those in our next editions of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here for the next one. Row! There was a man, he dropped out. Now he's back, he has a daughter. Now she's in college with him. What a pain in my class. You see, Mike didn't know what he was missing. No, but he's about to. Okay, everyone, before we sign off on PTBN Pop this week, we are going to release a live show that Greg and Chico recorded back in early September honoring the Power Rangers 30th anniversary as they watched the first episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to yet another It Was a Thing on TV live show. Greg here with Chico and... Well, this is a little overdue. Not that just, one. Just a bit. Just a bit. Yeah. Not that one. The other one. Yeah, the other one is very overdue. Yeah, we were supposed to release this around the time of the 30th anniversary of its airing, but complications and everything. But you know what? Better late than never. And it is within the time frame anyway, so... Yes, we are talking, of course, about the 30th anniversary of the only reason that I survived the 1990s, and that would be Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh, yes. Well, obviously, it was a staple of the Fox Kids lineup from 93 to the end of the block, so... Still is a staple, although... Not really much of a staple nowadays, but still is a staple. Yeah, by meant by far as Fox Kids. I mean, Fox oh, Kids, yeah. obviously, no more. But yes, a fabric of our American youths, like everything, like every fabric of our American youths, partially made in Japan. Yes, I mean, just refer back to the Dynaman episode couple weeks ago so we go on to that so all right so this is season one episode one day of the dumpster where it all began so you're watching this on netflix where as of the time we're recording this in september 2nd of 2023 pause your recording at zero 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 now, I'm yep. going to give a three-second countdown, and when you hit play, you're going to hit play. All right, here's the countdown. Right, hold Th- on. Hold, oh, yeah, I got to wait a second. I actually have to turn my... I, have to, I actually have to turn my Netflix on. Oh, jeez. Odd. Uh, hey, we, we were doing the pilot. I had the pilot from YouTube. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's live, pal. This is the actual. So we are we are not seeing Audrey Dubois today. Sorry. I don't even know who Audrey Dubois is. She is the original Trini. Oh, she is okay. The original Trini. And now that that's in, I have to. Oh, oh behave yourself. My phone's my phone doesn't want to behave itself. Your phone okay. probably bet all the money on TCU today. <laughs> Shout out to Coach Prime. Shout out to Coach Prime. 
All right. We are we are go. Okay. So zero 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 triple zeros. Three second countdown. And when it play, you're all gonna hit play. Okay. Three, two, one, play. Who knew the who knew the moon had an atmosphere? Oh, I didn't know that either. That was one of the first things I learned from this intro. The moon is like a planet? Huh? There's our Tyranno Ranger, our Tiger Ranger, our dancing mammoth ranger. Oh, shout out to Walter Jones and those sweet dance moves. Mm-hmm. Shout out to David Yost coming back in this fall. Yeah. Yoru Sentai Jurenja. Oh, yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is taken from the first episode of that show. And you can totally tell those are Japanese people in those spacesuits. Crappy-ass spacesuits, let's be honest. And again, who knew the moon had an atmosphere? Run away! The late, great Machiko Soga, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, who knew that the moon had puddles? Sorry about that. My dad asked if I wanted any mac and cheese balls. Oh. You know where all the mac and cheese balls you can find are? Where's Where's that? That, that, Here, we're in Earth. Ah, right. A uh, bit of a bit of a fun fact: If you watch the original pilot, they don't have this uh, stock this stock music from the Saban archives. They have Van Halen's uh, "Higher Ground" playing, and they're not all practicing martial arts; they're bowling. Obviously, they couldn't afford that on a Fox Kids budget. No, they could not. And you notice that everybody is addressing everybody by their name. So now we know who everybody is. I appreciate that. They establish who everybody is within like the first minute. Yes. And they also establish a clear divide between good and annoying. I gotta say, though, I appreciate the character arc that Bulk and Skull go through over the course of the series. They are they are very vital to the franchise. Very vital. Remember when they became cops? I do. That was Remember great. when they became monkeys? <laughs> yes.
Why, yes. No, the dancer has no choice, but more on that later. And, yeah. Toro. Olay. Meanwhile, yeah, I totally didn't hear her just say Gripper Sars just then. Billy. Don't don't think about it, Billy. You're no, think, your your problem is you're, you're thinking about it. Yeah. Don't think. Feel. No, your no your your problem is Billy. You're thinking about it. You need to not think about it. Yeah, just get it. Just get all the fear out of your mind. Just get it all out of your mind. Yeah, overthinking's kind of my thing. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. This is not going to end well. No. Unless they're rubber-suited aliens, but more on that later. Oh, advanced training techniques. <laughs> okay, that was that was okay. That was pretty impressive. I'm not gonna lie. Uh oh. Uh oh. Jason's signature. When you hit the wrong combo in Street Fighter. Yep. Hey, you'll be beating up people by episode 20. Earthquake! Sorry, Bulk. Everybody get underneath something. All you extras go in that direction. You extras go that direction. Uh, oh, man. Oh, my God, it's the Brandeis Institute. Because as you know, teenagers are the future of the pl of the planet.
Give that landing a four. Oh, that was a hard landing. It looks like the inside of a Spencer's on Black Friday. Whoa. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I've seen pictures of David Fielding. He looks the same 30 years later. Why is she riding around on a bicycle? Why does Goldar have wings? Yeah, it's what I want to know. Hey, if they did this one year earlier, they could have gotten powers drawn from winged animals. Ah, yeah. That's my man right there. That's my dog. All right. Technically, three of those, the only three of those five are dinosaurs. Actually, two of those five are dinosaurs. Pterodactyls are not dinosaurs. Yeah, they're birds. They're um they're pterosaurs. And uh saber tigers and mastodons are mammals. Mammals. They're mammals. They're all like, ah, peace out. Go. And yet they are and yet they're allowed to keep their uh the coins. Things. And yet they're allowed to keep their morphers. I think he could have given the courtesy. I agree with that. Yeah, Finster, you're taking your sweet-ass time coming up with these. Like, how long does it take to mold clay into... A monster. Yeah. 
You got something against heads? Lousy, stupid teenagers. Remember how poor editing was in 1993? Oh, yeah. We didn't have Final Cut Pro back in 1993. Oh, this yeah. would be like the sequence when you'd play the Sega CD FMV game. Yeah. We talked about that, didn't we? I think we have at one point or another on this podcast. Wait, I gotta put my glasses away. Stop playing with your food and eat it. I'd say. Say it. Say the line, guys. They didn't say the line. No, they said they're dinosaurs. They didn't say it was morphin' time. Oh, they did. Yeah, well. Oh, wait, why is the footage now all weird all of a sudden, Chico? I have no idea. Huh. Why is it? I I have a question. Yeah? How come Trini has a... You know? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. That's weird. He's making <laughs> he's making the monster for episode two right now. Uh, I'm big now. I'm big what cost me was my wings. I'm big ass Goldor. I'm gonna step on everything in Angel Grove. They don't waste any time, do they? Actually, they wasted a good 48 seconds with all that posing. I don't know.
Okay, they were in the city like three it, seconds ago. Yeah. Oh, snap. Hit him again, hit him again, harder, harder. Hit him again, hit him again, harder, harder. Ladies and gentlemen, the must-have toy of 1993. Getting their butts kicked. Oh, a drop kick. He was kicking their butt. Yeah, and he just left. And he just left. I don't get it. Uh, that was weird. That was... He just bailed as soon as they got the sword. He's like, oh, no, I'm not. I don't want any of this. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, I know of at least three different. I know of at least three different uh, times where they had to break one of those rules. Not. This is the this is so nineties. Yes.
Oh, Alpha 5 finally got comedy. Yeah! Freeze frame! Now he's up in the air! And credits. Yep. You know, looking back on that, with the uh, benefit of hindsight, How did this how did this last thirty years, let alone thirty how did this last thirty episodes, let alone thirty years? That's a question that I've always asked myself. It's like if you really stop and think about that, this show should not have worked. And but it, it did. did. Yeah. And it's still going strong today. Yep. After, after what? How many series have they? Are they on now? Uh, this next upcoming season is the thirtieth season, and yep. from my understanding, it will be the end of Power Rangers as we know it. Oh yeah, because aren't they rebooting the franchise from scratch? They're rebooting. They're rebooting. They're rebooting the franchise. They're not rebooting the franchise. They're rebooting the franchise. They're rebooting the franchise. Hasbro wants more money Has- by starting from scratch. Yep. Hasbro Hasbro wants that breadstick money, man. Yeah. Yeah, after 30 years and three feature films, yeah, it's still going strong. And it'll probably be around long after we're dead. Yeah. That's the, th- that's the thing about shows like this. They last forever. Once they hit, they last forever. Yep. All right. So that's going to do it for this. It was a thing on TV live show. So I'm going to probably rush to get this out on Sunday. So let's see. Coming out on Monday would be on it was a thing on TV. It would be. uh, Oh, we got our Star, Star Trek Day episode. Yep. This is Columbo. This is Columbo slash Kate Loves a Mystery. Oh, hold on. I got uh, CNN breaking news from Mike in the Facebook chat. The unaired episode of the Cube that was on Max is gone, but I got it on my iPhone. That might be a future live watch. Well, I don't know. I I doubt it's going to be a live watch, but Mike has it on his phone, so... Good job, Mike. Yeah, good job saving it. I don't know. Unless he downloaded it directly from the Max app, then I don't know how he's going to get it off his phone. But, okay. Um, And then on Thursday, yeah, we got the worst Monday night football game. We did that a couple years ago. Well, guess what? We got the sequel to it. Basically the worst Thursday night football game ever from last year. Yikes. We talked about it last night. And we still can't believe this game happened and how it turned out the way it did. So bad that the local Denver affiliate had to apologize for it. Yeah, you'd have to apologize, too, if it involved the Faneuil Hackett. You know, you mentioned yikes. 
yeah, yikes. But as I said, this is one of two live shows that we haven't had a chance to do. But the second live show that's going to be coming out next week. Well, you've been waiting for it forever. We promised you this like five or six months ago. And circumstances forced us not to do it. Well, guess what? Now we're finally going to do it. That's going to be awesome. Yes. But you'll find out more about that in the next It Was a Thing on TV live show. For Chico, I'm Greg. Thank you ever so much for listening. And stay tuned with those episodes right on our Podbean feed later this week. Wow! Go, go, Power Rangers! You mighty Morphin Power Rangers! Do! Ding.